Hello, it's Beth Kempton, author of Freedom Seeker and founder of Do What You Love. Welcome to the Freedom Seeker Chronicles. If you're new here, you can find out more about me and my work at bethkempton.com. The Freedom Seeker Chronicles is a place for brave stories, real inspiration, actionable advice, and great conversations. So many of us build lives that end up trapping us, chasing the kind of success that doesn't actually make us happy, until one day we eventually realize that enough is enough. We want to do things our way. We want to manifest our own happiness. We want to escape, make our own rules, and fly free. Because deep down we know it's in flying free that we fulfill our true potential and we really come alive. The Freedom Seeker Chronicles podcast is a regular dose of escape elixir to reignite that desire and light the way. I define freedom as the willingness and ability to choose your path and live life as your true self. In this podcast, the stories will inspire that willingness and in my book, Freedom Seeker, you'll find all the tools you need for that ability. The rest is up to you. If you haven't yet read my book, you can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble and all good independent bookstores. It's the perfect companion to this podcast. And if you've read it and you're here for more inspiring stories, welcome friend, you're in for a treat. I cannot wait for you to meet today's guest. You know those women who are funny and smart and inspiring and you think if you met them in real life, you'd really want to be friends? Today's guest is one of them. Several years back, she, in her own words, threw her life in the air like it was fistful of confetti, leaving behind all that was stable and sensible and known for a giant adventure, which she wrote about in her thought-provoking, revealing and often hilarious memoir, Unbound, A Story of Snow and Self-Discovery. She even has a world record for skiing the most vertical feet in a year. She is awesome, and she is Steph Jagger, and I think you're going to love her. Steph splits her time between Southern California and British Columbia, where she dreams big dreams, runs a life coaching practice, and writes her heart out. And today, she's here with us. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us, Steph. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. I'm so excited to talk to you because I don't really read memoirs, but I read your book and I absolutely loved it. I love a good adventure. I love a good life story. And there was such a great combination of both. So I have tons and tons of questions for you and I love you already. And I would like to just get you to start at the beginning with your crazy big adventure, which I know you will have talked about hundreds of times since your book came out earlier in the year. But you know, why not share it again? Why not share it again? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was a gal, you know, in my 20s living in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is where I was raised. And I was kind of, quote unquote, ticking off the boxes of adulting pretty well, you know, had, you know, good job and had my bought my first apartment, you know, all of these different things. And, you know, it it was a good life. um, But it wasn't great and I wanted great and so I thought I would follow a a literal tin sign I went up to Whistler and was skiing with a bunch of friends and and we were on a chairlift and I said wouldn't it be amazing to do this 
for a year, you know, ski, you know, just ski around the world or whatever. And, and of course they just howled and laughed and you don't have enough money and you're not a good enough skier and you're all of these things. And I was kind of like, right, 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 right. They're right. That's like an absurd idea. And I got to the top of the chairlift and it was a sign that I'd seen, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times before. And if anybody who's in your audience is a skier or a snowboarder, they'll recognize these as well. When you get onto a chairlift, there's a sign that says like lower that the bar, the, the, the key that keeps you safe on the chairlift. And when you get to the top, you've got to raise the bar. And it says raise restraining device. And the sign caught my eye and I thought, okay, wait a second. What is holding me back from something like this? Like, is it these jokers next to me? Or is it some sort of belief that I have? Or, you know, and if I was able to, or is it money? Or is it, you know, all these different things. And and if I was able to identify those things one by one, could I then hurdle over them and, and do this. And, and so I decided, yes. So, so that is essentially it. Then I, you know, a year and a half late, it took a year and a half to save and do enough squats to get my legs. Prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I, I, you know, quit my life essentially and, and spent a year doing my three favorite things, which is to write and to travel and to ski. I did not by write. I mean, like, I wrote a blog that was essentially a newsletter for my mom and two friends. Like I didn't write <laughs> as, in, as in I'm going to write a book or anything like that. Um, and so, so, so that was the journey. So, so I, I did that. I, I spent a year doing that chasing winter around the world. I went to nine different countries and 52 different ski resorts. I ended up, I didn't know I was going to do this, but I ended up breaking a record for the most vertical feet skied in a year I also ended up, I didn't know I was going to do this either. I also ended up meeting the person that I'm now married to. I won't say who it is because people who haven't read the book, they'll have to guess. Um, there's a few, <laughs> there's a few, there's a few gentlemen suitors, um, that kind of show up. So, so that's, that's essentially what I did. And then, and then I, you know, afterwards, after the journey was over, you know, three or four years later, I, I kind of kept getting the calling to write the book. So again, it was something I, didn't know how I was going to do, but I thought, well, if I can identify the things that I don't know, could I, could I use the same restraining device kind of um, motto that I did in the trip and, and, and accomplish the feat of writing a book. And so that's, that's the gist of it. And those people who were sat next to you on that, on that ski lift all those years ago, what do they think of all that's happened for you in the last few years? Yeah. You know, it's funny. One of them I'm not so much in contact with, but the other one I, I actually phoned when I was writing to like fact check, like, is this what you, what did, what was your experience on the chairlift? Just to make sure that I had the conversation right and the things. And so, um, you know, he said to me, you know, yeah, I remember us laughing and I remember us, you know, shooting the thing down, but he said, Steph, I, I had known you for long enough at that point that when something comes out of your mouth, you typically do it. <laughs> and so I think we were shooting you down because we were just a bit jealous. Like, oh man. <laughs> You know, is she going to, is she actually going to throw down that hard and, and we're going to be left on the chairlift? <laughs> you know what? I'm laughing, but actually that is at the heart of so much of what holds people back is the people around them, but it's actually not about them. It's about the people around them's own stuff, isn't it? And often we don't see that at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. You know, there's so much when we go to make a change or, or when we have some kind of transformation or transition in our lives, quite often the people around us want to hold us back from that or kind of we lose them a little bit along the way because, or a lot along the way because 
one, they're not with us, and so there's less to relate on than there was in the past, or we're not with them. And and two, quite often what we're doing flies directly in the face of their own desires. And by us doing it, it forces them to look at it. And that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. So they there's a there's sometimes people choose to kind of distance themselves from looking at that, which can appear and feel hurtful, you know, but it's 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 this person's own self-preservation, which I think is really important to take into account. Absolutely. So there was there yeah. was that and there was the money thing and there was the well you've already got quite a nice life thing. The, the kind of doubt that comes with that because you don't know whether you're just chucking it all away for nothing. So what what did you discover were, were the things that had been holding you back? You obviously saved up money, so that had been something, and you yeah. got over that one quite easily. Yeah, so there's um, there, there's finances, you know, right? Like skiing around the world, this is not an, an, an inexpensive undertaking, so I had to save, and I had to put a fair bit of what I had accomplished thus far financially like on the line for that. Um, there was some, some physicality, you know, like I'm not a pro athlete, you know, like, yeah, Yeah, it's a big thing. Yeah. The idea of skiing around the world in a year and, and, and skiing the amount that I wanted to ski. And so, um, there, there was some physical training involved. I think with the physical training came a bit of mental training. And I talk about this in the book. It's, it was a bit of a double edged sword for me, actually, the kind of amount of willpower and resilience that I built up in the physical training. I think it was good for me, but also held me back in some ways. Um, in what and, ways? In what and, ways is that? Well, well, I think in in the way of um, you become so tough mentally that you don't. I what I don't know that I was listening to my heart. Like anytime something went wrong, which it did. I would kind of mentally, you know, push through it. Like, I can do this. No big deal. I got this. Like, just like I could hear my trainer telling me when I was, you know, in, in the midst of training for this whole thing. And so I think maybe when it got to the really tough stuff, you know, would it have been better for me to kind of sit and go, okay, so I just got knocked down again. Like, maybe I should look around me and see what's going on because I could push through this in a real physical way. But am I looking at it? you know, emotionally and spiritually, you know, the messages that are trying to come through. Um, what else, what, what else were restraining devices? I think there was belief systems, you know, that were restraining devices of, you know, should I be doing this on my own and what are people going to think? And, you know, the, the need for external approval and validation, those types of things, um, logistics, you know, there's a lot of planning involved. So there, you know, there was a handful of different things there, you know, and then you get to the big stuff, like I go back to the belief systems. There's fear. There's fear of what what's going to happen if I do this. There's fear of what's going to happen if I don't. You know, you have to kind of look at all of those different things. Um, so I think I think that's a big one. And I think you know when people hear like, oh, well, that's great that you did the ski trip. Like I could never do something like that. It's always funny to me because I'm like, oh, no, 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 sweetheart. You need to understand, like, you don't need to do something like that. What you need to do is something that is just a little bit outside of your comfort zone. That's where transition and growth happen. I had traveled on my own, you know, a lot in Europe and in Africa and, you know, a whole bunch of different places before. So traveling on my own wasn't outside of my comfort zone. Traveling on my own for that amount of time was. You know, skiing big mountains was not outside of my comfort zone. I did that regularly on the weekend. 
skiing big mountains in nine different countries. That was a little bit outside of my comfort zone. So I think that's an important thing to, to, to you know, people are like, oh, I couldn't do something that epic or I don't have the finances or I don't, you know, I kind of go like, no, 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 you don't need to do something that epic, just epic enough that it's outside of your comfort, which could be moving from walking 5k to running 5k, or it could be learning to do a pot, taking a pottery class when all your life, you, you know, the message of, in your family is that artists are flaky people or whatever, and getting over that. So, it, you know, there's lots of different ways of doing this type of thing. Sorry, I just went on a tangent. No, it's, it's such, it's <laughs> such an important thing because I think the truth is people can read a book like yours and be inspired and overwhelmed at the same time and, and literally becomes that I could never do that thing, which, you know, has the kind of opposite effect of what it's supposed to have. Not by the end of the book, it certainly doesn't have that. But I think that thought process is very natural for people who aren't naturally inclined to do the exact thing that you just did. Yeah. So it's, it's a really, really important point. How much difference did it make, do you think, to have that really specific goal that you wanted to meet? Well, I had the goal of 4 million feet before I started out. I didn't know that that was very close to the record. Um, I think it was really important for me because I'm, I'm, I know myself well enough to know I'm a goal-oriented person. That was going to keep me moving and inspired and motivated. I also didn't want this trip to just be like, Steph's a ski bomb and, <laughs> you know, this for a month or this place for a week or whatever. I, I wanted there to be, not that there's anything wrong with being a ski bomb. It's kind of a glorious way to live, but... Um, I, I wanted there to be a little bit more structure around it. And I think two things. I think it was a bit divinely inspired. Like when I look back, I go, ah, like I needed the goal because the goal led to this and this and this and this. But also I felt as though, I think this was unconscious at the time, but looking back, it makes sense to me, is that the goal was a way of having people go like, oh, she's not completely crazy. <laughs> Why would you say like I'm giving up my life to, to ski around the world and that's it and and no there's no charity involved and no I'm not raising money for something and no there's no goal with it and no people are kind of like that is ridiculous and extraordinarily selfish and you're throwing your life away and 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 so I think unconsciously the goal made it um, easier for me to explain to people and and to explain to myself um so again this is a kind of an unconscious thing like i wasn't sitting there going like well this is absolutely absurd so i'm going to need something to ground here but as i look back i kind of think oh no wonder there was a goal because otherwise people would have it would have been labeled as sheer lunacy and i think i would have believed that <laughs> And so, sometimes we need the words to explain it to other people. Don't I think in the end we realise we don't really need anyone else's permission. But if we if we think we do, right. and that's what allows us to do it, then why not? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, what do you follow that up with when you've done something like that and you've achieved it and you've, you've done the thing? What's the next thing? <laughs> that's such an interesting question, and, and you know that that was the, that is the question. That is the question that that is in almost every single conversation that I've had since the trip is like, Oh my gosh, you did that. So like what happened next? Like what next? What now? You know, what are you going to do now? And it, that question used to make me so enraged because when I was exhausted at the end of the trip, I was kind of like, what do you mean? What next? Like my, my, I, what I really wanted to say was like, why don't you get off your ass and do something, not expect something more of me. And, and again, you know, I was, I was just exhausted 
from the whole thing. And the idea of what's next was so overwhelming to me. That's a that, great answer. Next, I watch you do something awesome. Right. Yeah, next I watch you do something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you had asked me prior to the journey, Steph, you're going to do this journey and then what's going to come next? Well, I would have, you know, bucket list. I would have created a list of like, well, what comes next is that I'll get a job doing logistics for Ski Canada. And then after that, what comes next is I travel to Botswana. And then after that, what comes next? You know, it would have been so easy for me to like write all of those goals out and then they would have become informed um, using my ego as I went forward. That completely shifted for me on the trip and, and, and in the subsequent years afterwards as I was really searching for the answer, what's next? And as I was adding an additional question, why? You know, because I, I think we don't often ask that question when we're setting goals. So so it shifted. And there's now, the way that I look at things is that there is two things on that quote-unquote bucket list instead of a thousand. And the two things are, am I listening to what I am called to do? And the second thing, which is probably the more important well, they're probably, they they do a tandem little tango. They're both important. But the second thing is, do I have the courage to say yes when I hear it? And that, that's it. That's what's next. And so if that means, okay, the book comes knocking at your door over and over and over, and you're feeling called to write a book, even though it terrifies you, even though you don't know how to do it, even though, you know, the answer to the why is because I'm called, because there's some kind of divine intervention. There's some kind of, we're doing a dance here and I've just been invited to the dance floor by, I don't know, source, God, the universe, whatever we want to call it. And so I'm going to try and muster up the courage to say yes to it. So that was, you know, how the book came about. And that's really how I, that's how I run the business. That's how I choose the, my next projects. That's how I it's, it's how I decide where I'm going to go traveling, if, when, and, you know, what countries those are going to be in. So that's, that's what's next is how keenly can I listen for what I am called to do? How much awareness do I have around that? And how much faith do I have in my intuition? And, and then, two, once I hear it and have faith in it, do I have the courage to say yes to it? All right, so the bucket list becomes a question list. And actually, the thing doesn't isn't actually as important as the doing of whatever it happens to be in that time. And the thing is not as important as as yeah as the being which leads to the doing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a great way to approach it for sure. And I always think about like I think the reason I asked about the um, how important it was to have the the goal was because if Mm -hmm. you miss a goal, you're kind of you know there's a very high chance that you're not going to make that goal. And, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up. I think when we put really specific goals about a physical thing we want to do, we're kind of setting ourselves up for a high chance of self-disappointment, right? So sometimes it's really motivating. But also I love the so, so that approach about the questions and um, about what you're called to do. If, even if you don't end up doing the thing you thought it was, there might be another thing that is actually the thing Absolutely. and it becomes less important. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was the journey. The universe used the goal because I was so ego oriented prior. The universe used the bait. Oh, like we know what's going to snag the ego of this check. So let's throw that on the table. She'll kind of start running after it. And then we will reveal the master plan and hope that she has enough awareness to eventually see it and follow it and chase it and all that kind of stuff. 
So, 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 so that is one. The, the other thing, quickly, just about goal setting, I think, in, in particular, is you're right. We set ourselves up for failure so many times because we have goal setting backwards. The way that we think of goal setting is do, have, be. If I do this thing, I will have this thing. And when and only when I have this thing, I can then be this thing. So if I do a thousand squats, I will have a, a, a curvaceous Kardashian behind. And when and only when I have that, will I deem myself worthy, attractive, you know, desirable to other human beings on the planet? Well, this is BS, right? We need to feel all of that and be all of that and know that we have all of that right from the get-go. So this is the way that it switches for me to be. What is it you want to be? You know, it's not that when you get to the top of the mountain or the 10K race or the, you get the promotion or whatever that you're going to be that you need to decide what that is from the get go. So it turns into be and that being leads to very dramatically different doing be do have and then the results the having at the end is going to really blow your mind. Absolutely. I'm I'm fascinated. It's very clear the way that you're talking that there that there's a different you're a different person in some ways than you probably were when you set oh. out on that journey and I'm interested to know whether there was a point at which you were like oh my god this is actually how it is or whether it was it's just over time and on reflection and obviously as a writer you spend a lot of time thinking about these things whether <laughs> you've just distilled your thoughts yeah yeah I think it I think it happens over time I think you know certainly as I was moving along the journey, there were guides that showed up. Um, one of them being a character in the book, uh, Chris, he showed up as a massive guide for me in pointing out like, you know, this is going on. Right. And I was like, say what, you know? <laughs> so, so that was very helpful. Um, and then, you know, when I finished the journey, I went back to coaching school and gathered all of these tools for really looking and pulling those things apart. And then of course dove into the writing, which is which is another way of doing exactly what I was taught in coaching school, which is taking a, a version of the truth and looking at it in all different ways and deciding which is the most, which is gonna be the most serving, which is gonna be the most valid, which, you know, um, et cetera, and, and, and examining personal narrative. And, and then of course the publishing of the book, I mean, all of it has been kind of a, a master lesson in exactly that. What is it that I want to be? How is it that I want to feel in my life? And let me start there. And that is a massively different, you know, that, that doesn't mean I'm not going to accomplish things. That doesn't mean I'm not going to achieve. Those are still big parts of my life. But the orientation that I had prior in my early in my all throughout my late teens and, and 20s was really how much can I do to prove that I am enough, worthy, deserved, and, and to be seen in the world. So they're connected and, to you now rather than external validation. And now I just kind of think I am enough, I am worthy, I am deserved, I am, you know, you know, seen and and I see myself and let me let me move from that point because the actions that I take, the intention behind them is gonna be so much different than than the please, please, pretty please, could somebody in the world just see me in this way kind of attention that my ego is driving everything from all of the achievement from prior. So yes, there's been a massive shift. And it, it happened over time. I think that I think it, 
for me, when I've, I've seen it the most, like cemented, probably has been the last year because when the book came out in January, I've had to be public and talking about it and being like, well, yeah, right. I, I do believe, like, I do believe this and I am walking my talk around this and, you know, right. This exactly has changed. So, so that's been, um, I think it's been happening over the last five years, mm. my awareness mm. of it, my practice of it, et cetera. But the, the cementing of it, listen, you can't put yourself out into the world with, with a book, with your own personal story and still be attached to approval and validation. It, it just, it's not going to be <laughs> it's really not it's really and it's, it's so interesting because um my own book freedom seeker came out earlier this year just after yours a few months after and um it, the the kind of turning point in that like the, the i guess the low point in the story um was something that happened only two years ago um it was when i was pregnant with my um second daughter who's only recently turned two and i i remember that um over the months that i've been talking about it, and i totally understand what you're saying I found it quite challenging to have to relive that moment so many times because I'm in a different place two years on, but thank part in part from writing the book. But everyone always wants to hear about the trans- the moment of transformation, right? Whatever it was, whether it was this big journey you went on or something that happened to you. Um, and for you, that was several years before, right? Not yeah. just two years, but like a whole other stage of your life. So, yeah. I, and I remember watching you on your um, on your book tour and, and thinking about. How is that? Like five years on, like you're you're clearly living another life already, right? You've le- you've yeah. changed as a life coach, and this is a story from before you were married, and or before you even yeah, some of before story you starts when I was 28, and I'm 36 year now. It's you know it's almost a decade. Yeah, and how how has that been? The whole talking about your story, it kind of over and over again, which is something I hadn't even really thought through that I would have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I watched this, and I actually, you know. Um, Praise the good Lord for for Cheryl Strayed because I, I listened to an interview uh, with her one time about Wild and her because she wrote it ten years later and then was talking about it. So this is now ten, fifteen. She's still talking about it twenty years later. And I think for me, it's, I'm talking about a version of myself that it still is very much me, but also not me. You know, what, what do they say every seven years, every single one of our molecules is like different than it was seven years ago. Right. Mm. And I feel like if doing that is going to be of service to others, happy to do it. I'll do it all day long. You know? Um, so long as I understand personally, like that, that's, that's not me. I mean, it is, but it's not. And, and here, here's the thing that I think about, especially with, with writing and, and, and with writing memoir. For me, and, and maybe, this is, maybe this is a survival technique, but it, it has everything to do with me. My name is on the book. It is a journey I took. It's, you know, I spent the time writing it, etc. But once it's finished, once it's in the hands of, of one other person, it has everything to do with me and nothing to do with me. And, and if I give it over into the world, continuing to think that this has everything to do with me, that this reader's reaction has everything to do with me, that the fact that this reader has been touched in this way and is crying and is thanking you for writing this story, it has everything to do with me. No, <laughs> like nothing. And so it becomes really easy for me at least to kind of detach and say, okay, what, what's going to be a what is the best and highest use of me in this moment? Not in an egotistical way, but really in a way of service. And if that means that I have to talk about the 28 year old version of myself for this message to land with this great, 
let me do it. If that means that I ignore all of that and I talk about what I learned in coaching school and we don't even talk about the ski trip and that doesn't even come up and my ego isn't stroked in that way, great. <laughs> now, let's do it. So I, I, that's, that's the way that I like to think about it. It has everything to do with me and nothing to do with me. And also in the moments of going out into the world and, and, and sharing the book, whether that's, okay, it's published or whether I'm talking about it or on a podcast or something, what's the best and highest use of me? Is it to talk about it? Is it not to talk about it? Is, you know, all those things. So I think that's great for any creative person, whatever it is that they're putting out in the world. It does take on almost a different form yeah. once it's left you. Absolutely. Um, I'm fascinated because I know having been part of a, a same um, writing group as you some time back, I know that you got an incredibly good deal when you signed for yes. your first book. And I also yes. remember thinking, wow, that is seriously big pressure for you to because obviously for people who don't know how it works in publishing you get an advance and then you don't get any royalties until you've earned your advance back right so having a really big advance is amazing for your confidence and then a, a, you know a really big challenge because you have to sell that many books before you get anything back and obviously the great thing is that the publisher has a lot of you know vested interest in you, your book doing really right. well but how has that been have you felt that kind of pressure or have you just been doing your own thing or how has the no, whole thing I been this question. I, I think I think for a second book I would feel the pressure I think for the first book I was just so naive I, I didn't know <laughs> anything about publishing I didn't know what I mean when I got that deal I knew it was a good deal um but I didn't I didn't even I wasn't thinking like Oh, this is I have now. I have to perform in this certain way because I've got this big deal and there's this pressure. I just because I was just so naive. I was like, oh my gosh, well, okay, let's get started. <laughs> I mean, I really had no clue. I think going into it again, but 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 even then, even then, listen, when when you go into something saying, am I listening for the call, and do I have cur the courage to say yes? you know, the pressure's kind of off because you're now in this, what I, what I call like a co-creation. So, so I've just started, uh, uh, another book, another memoir, like literally I'm like four days into the writing, you know, th th there's 7,000 horrific words thrown down on the page <laughs> and, and I don't have a deal for it. Um, I, it's funny. I, I say, um, in, in, in time, in a chronological linear way, I don't have a deal for it. But if you think of time as not chronological, I think I do have a deal for it. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's the same thing. You know, I'm following a calling. And so I, the, the pressure's kind of off. You know, you you then are, are, are co-creating with the magic of, of what's out there. And you're doing your best. And so, so at the beginning of this process, I wrote a letter to this new book and just said, I'm in, I'm in, you're invited. Let's start. Let's do this. You take the lead here. Cause if I take the lead, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to put pressure on myself. I'm going to say, Oh my gosh, we didn't get a big book deal or Oh my gosh, we did get a big book deal. And then what do we do with that? And, uh, and, and I'm going to have reviews in my head from the last book. So, so, so why don't we just not do that? Why don't you book glorious thing? that has way more wisdom than this human thing over here. Why don't you take the lead and I will follow. I will, I, I accept all responsibility 
for following in the human way that I can follow, for getting my ass in the chair and for writing the words and for doing that. And then you make whatever you need to make happen, happen, whether it's a big book deal or a small book deal, whether it's a movie deal at the end of it, whether it's a fabulous agent relationship, whether it's a great editorial team, whether, you know, you do whatever needs to be done. Cause I'm not going to try and control that stuff. If I try and control that stuff, it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> it's such a great approach to everything. It's really, really important. I, and it's so easy to try and, I think, go, oh, I've got this bit of experience in this particular thing, and so I know more about it than last time, so now I have to make the decisions from my head based on what I know. But actually, ripping all that up and throwing it out the window because you know what you know is, is brilliant. Absolutely, and, and, I, and I almost did that with when it came to the promotion of the book because I, I came from marketing and PR, so like Little Miss Ego was like, oh, I know how PR works. And I you know, hired this PR team, and, and I started to go down this road and it wasn't that the PR, the PR team was amazing. It's just that I started to go down this road that I was controlling, that me and my ego were gonna influence and push, and, and I, I felt it and I went, whoa, this has gotta stop. I have got to listen to what the, the in-house PR and marketing teams are saying. I have got to, I just have to tune in and ask myself, what is the intention behind hiring this PR team? Is it so that I get to be in control of this? Well, then that's got to be over. That's brilliant. So it was. So it was. That's brilliant. So have you um, carved out a big chunk of time in your work life for this? Are you doing it on the yeah. side? How, how much of a priority is this now? Yeah. So when I when I was in the midst of the book tour, which is crazy, I think I've been to like 50 cities this year. It's been absolutely bizarre. It was about March, and I was starting to go a little bit crazy with just the schedule of it all. And I looked at the summer, and I went, you know, we gotta, we gotta slow this, we gotta slow this ship down. So, so this is, I'm, I'm actually in Whistler, British Columbia. We came up in June. We'll be here until about October, and there is still a fair bit on my plate. There's still a lot on the go, but it is massively slower than the first six months of the year. And yes, I have. I have some some things, but most of August is okay. Can I? This is how I've been thinking about it. Like this next book is like a, a puzzle that's that's all the pieces are all mixed up inside a box, and and August is me just opening up the lid and spilling out the puzzle pieces and turning them over and going, okay, like what do we have here? You know, it's kind of the like glorious mess of, of the beginning stages. So so that's what August is, just just a glorious mess. And, and September actually is quite busy, but I, I, you know, October, November, December, those are so far pretty chill. I haven't been taking on new clients from the coaching side of the business. Um, although I still have ways of working with me and programs and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's been intentionally slower so that I can recover and, and rest and get my intuitive eyes and ears and all that wide open again and and hopefully dive into dive into this so that I can you know gather enough puzzle pieces at least to to show to my editor and say what do you think should we take another crack at at this that that quiet is so important isn't it to be able to hear those things because I think you you can have a really big opportunity and it gets busy and exciting but then it shut that noise can kind of shut out that information about what's next can't it yeah get caught up in it all 
Absolutely. Yeah. I basically have like said no to every person on the page, like all, you know, friends, cause I'm in where I'm from. So there's a lot of people, Oh, Hey, I, you're in Whistler. Let's, you know, let's meet up for coffee. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't, <laughs> um, because they just need this, this real kind of deep rest and rejuvenation as well as just the beginning stages of the project are for me, I kind of have to, you know, get inside of a, uh, little crab shell and sort things out and yeah. look at flip over my puzzle pieces on my own and yeah yeah and even with that really kind of open mind and that open approach to things is there any scariness in that place of newness for the for this new project just in terms of people are listening thinking about, I mean the stuff that you've done is amazing and you've done several things that for lots of people is a lifelong dream um right and yet here you are back at the beginning again because this is a fresh start with something else and you, you've got that experience behind you but there is still newness in what you're doing so is there anything in that that's scary for you or have you just I mean, sure, sure, sure. There's, there's there's fear that comes up all the time you know this is this is not to say like great i've mastered fear like no <laughs> no there's stuff that comes up all the time but but here's the deal is I think I've, I've, I've been to enough starting lines that I understand how it goes and I, and I am aware of and happy to lean into the tools and skills that I've developed um, to, to move through things. And so, you know, th- 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 there's a small part of me that would look at the writing that I've just done the last three or four days and, and, and kind of go, oh my gosh, this is awful. Nobody's ever going to want to read this. Um, you can't even put together like a freaking paragraph and PS, you don't know how to use a comma still, you know, <laughs> all these things. And then there's, there's, there's a bigger part of me that says, Oh my gosh, look at you. You're doing, you're doing it again. And look at this glorious mess and it's spilling all over the place. And Oh, it's that, but that's fine. Like just, it doesn't even matter. You know, you at least put 500 words down. Bravo. You know, so Listen to and, her. And from, <laughs> exactly. And so I listen to her. So I listen to her. So I, I think there are the, – the, the biggest thing is I, I've been to starting lines before. I've done this before. So there's tools and skills that I rely on. And the biggest one by far is am I creating enough space for me to hear my own intuition, which is which is that voice, that, oh, my darling, you know, and and can I lean into that? with as much grace as I can, um, that I can muster in that kind of moment. And, and also when fear comes up, you know, I talk about this with my, with my, the first book, you know, fears all the time, fear and the saboteur, you know, they, they just love to get their hands on everything. Right. And, and so I had rituals around that and I, I literally had a chair in my office that was like a throne for fear. You know, every time fear came up and was like, this isn't good enough. You, this is never going to go anywhere. What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? All this stuff. I kind of go, oh, you know, that's a good point. Let's actually have a conversation about that. What are you scared of? You know, and then we have that conversation. You know, my husband will like walk into my office and be like, who are you talking to? I'm like, oh, just fear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then once we've had that conversation, I say, okay, now you sweet thing who is trying to do your best to protect me here's your throne. I'll get, I'll get you a cookie, you know, and we can 
can we move forward? Like you, 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 I imagine like a station wagon, you know, those old ones where, where the seats, they actually had seats that kids could sit facing on the back. I don't know if that's legal. Yeah. Anymore. Um, um, but, but that's what I imagine. It's like, I'll take the wheel and look out into the future and you do what you love to do, which is take the past and gather all of that evidence and, and say that things are going to be in our way when actually you don't even know because you're not looking at the front window. Like let's, let's get, real about the relationship. So, so yes, fear comes up all the time. Um, but it, I just have a conversation about it or journal about it or get it a cookie. <laughs> That's a great, um, I love, you said there that you've been to a lot of starting lines and it's, it's such a, an interesting perspective because I, I meet a lot of people who feel that they are very far along in their life. Um, and maybe they've been, um, not following their heart for most of their life and they've realized that there's not a huge amount of time left and they don't want to not do that anymore but right. they're absolutely terrified because they really don't know and they think it's easy for these young people who understand all this technology or who have so many years ahead of them or who had don't have their family to pay for or all those things and looking at it as you've you know you've got all these experiences in the past that's incredibly helpful I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, the idea of raising your restraining device for older people who are much closer to retirement than they are to, um, you know, just having come out of uni. Well, I think I think a couple of things. I still don't know how to use technology. Like, ask my, <laughs> my I've, got a, I've got a woman who I work with. Her name's Lucy. She's always like, oh, my God, Steph, like, you don't understand how to use. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so don't let technology hold you back would be one thing for sure. Um I think it would go back to what I talked about earlier. Let's look at something that is going to get you outside of your personal comfort zone. This does not mean that you need to make some dramatic shift in your life and that you need to quit the job that you've had for 30 years and all of a sudden learn all of this technology and put every single bit of your savings that you've set aside for your child's education um, on, uh, on risk. Like, like let's go to you and what is going to be just outside of your comfort zone? And let's start there. Because no joke, an art class can be that shift for people. You know, the, the, the beautiful writers group, you know, and that kind of community and signing up for that can be that shift for those kind of people. And when you start to practice and get, so, so let's just use the art class as an example. So you have, you, you are an engineer. I'm making this scenario up. And you're now 57 and you, you have saved all your life and you've done everything you've been told and you've put your, your money aside for your kid's education and you're, you know, get inching towards retirement and you're like, oh my gosh, I've not followed my heart. I'm not happy. Things need to change. Go small. Go small. Sign up for the art class. Like if that's what you truly, if that's what I've not been following my heart, ask yourself, what is the smallest thing that, that following my heart would look like? I was talking to my aunt the other day and she was talking about learning how to rollerblade. It was, it was just, it was just perfect. It was where she's in her fifties, you know, <laughs> it was perfect. And she just, she was like, and I felt young again for that hour. And it was amazing. Great. Let's start there. You know? So that would be the first thing is, is look at your life and look at what is just outside your own comfort zone, however small or however large that is. And by comfort zone, I mean, everything emotionally spiritually financial everything look at everything then the other thing would be to switch up the goal that goal thing that i said before is to look at you've been probably have bought into the the goal setting 
frame of mind that is do, have, be. So if we switch that to be, do, have, my first question is, what is it that you want to be? How is it that you want to feel? You know, who are you when you wake up in the morning? And you may still keep your engineering job and you may still keep all of the savings in your retirement, but you may now walk into work going like, I'm actually going to just be happy. So starting to switch that. So that, that those would be the first two pieces of advice is com- your own comfort zone. Let's look at that first. And then how is it that you're framing your goals in your life? Awesome. And it's never too late for a new beginning, right? It's never too late. It's never too late. I literally, I, I, I talk about my aunt. I phoned her. It was her birthday a little while ago. I think she turned 50. No, she's in her 60s. I think she turned 64. Um, in any case, um, I just phoned her and I just said, you're one of the most inspiring people in my life because it's never too late. You know, she just always is embracing this like, okay, like, well, I've never learned how to camp before. Like, why don't I learn how to camp? Like I've done some hiking and I've done some like, you know, I've eaten lunch outside. Maybe if I ate dinner and slept out there too, that would be outside my comfort zone. So constantly looking at her as a source of inspiration for sure. That is awesome. So everyone, have a think about what could you do today that would be outside of your comfort zone. Thank you so much for your time, Steph. It's been awesome talking to you. And I cannot wait to read your next book. No, it's going to be a while, but (laughs) I can't wait to write it. We'll leave it there. But thank you so much. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing in the world. It's really, it's so important for us to all be having these kinds of conversations. So thank you. Thank you, Steph. So that's it for this time. You've been listening to me, Beth Kempton, in conversation with Steph Jagger. You can find out more about Steph on her website, stephjagger.com.